Welcome to the sermon podcast of Damascus Road Church. For more information about Damascus Road Church, go to damascusroadonline.com. I, would, I don't know what I was doing that night, um, but I was hanging out in my dorm room, uh, whatever was normal on a common weeknight, and I got my phone rang. Um, this is actually before cell phones. Nobody had cell phones. So the actual phone in the room rang, and I answered it, and it was the head of the theater department, Doc Rainbow, which is just the perfect name for the head of a theater department, right? His real name, Don Rainbow, uh, everybody called him Doc, and he called me and said, hey, I want to talk to you about something. I, was, I had never done any acting before. The closest thing I ever got to acting was in fifth grade, where I was the narrator for our church Christmas play. Um, and I, because I didn't want to be a character, I, I could just be me and narrate and feel secure in that way. Um, but part of going to the Christian, Lib- Christian liberal arts school that I went to was you had to take an applied arts class. And I thought, well, I'll take beginning acting. Jumped in and kind of loved it. And Doc taught that class. And he called me that night and he said, hey, um, we're going to do a Christmas show coming up. And I know you're in soccer now, but... I." I'm not going to do auditions. I'm just, I'm just casting the show personally. And um, I think you would be perfect. I have watched you in class and have seen you thriving in acting class. And I'm like, yeah. And I think you would be perfect. I have a role just for you. And the show is your good man, Charlie Brown. So this is the role that he had handpicked for me. Right? Pigpen. I had six lines. It was a musical ensemble, so I had to learn how to sing with a group, and it was beautiful because it was an ensemble, so no one could hear me. Uh, We all had had to come up with a peanuts dance uh, for when we jammed, and so I I had to cook something up. But there was something that was really cool about getting into the world of theater. There was a camaraderie when you spend three weeks uh, with a group for hours every day, learning your lines, doing the blocking, where you move, when you move, why are you moving, and then you start to uh, give this performance to other people. There was a camaraderie there that I really loved. And I ended up minoring in theater uh, just because it, it, it got into me so much. Um, One of the things that I learned was that the theater uh, program at Huntington, where I was, taught method acting. A guy named Stanislavski uh, came up. If you're in the theater world, you know his name. And he he taught this thing called method acting. And he talked about the magic if. So when you act, you're not a character. When you act, you act as if you were really that person. As if you were really that that person, in that situation. So if you were them, if you were him, what would you feel? What would you think? What would you do? Where would you move? How, how would you walk? And I remember one time preparing for uh, the diary of Anne Frank where I was Peter. The director came in and said, okay, Peter's awkward. I'm, like, I'm not awkward. I'm like, no, Peter's awkward. And Peter, I want you to, I want you to walk awkwardly. And so I spent the next week walking around campus trying out different walks. And I can imagine people looking at me like, what is he doing? Um, 
but I was trying to get into someone else's skin to act as if I was that person. So one theologian named Kevin Van Huser grabbed onto this, and he said, the Christian life is very dramatic. He said, theater has a stage. Creation is our stage. Theater has uh, a main character. Well, we have a main character. It's God, the triune God, the Father, Son, and Spirit, is the main character. As much as we might sometimes think that we're the main character, that's not true. God is the main character of the story here. There are secondary actors. That's us, right? There's a plot that's creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. This is the sweeping movement of the drama that we get to see unfolding. There's a script even. You know what the script is? Right here. Where we open up every week and we say, God, what are you like? How do we live with you? How can we, how can we engage with you? And Van Hoosier said, except in life, there's no pretending like there is on the stage. In the Christian life, we are far less about pretending and far more about participating, right? And so he, he would take method acting and the, the act as if, and he would say, like Colossians uh, chapter 3, since then. Christians don't act as if they've been saved. They act since then we've been saved, right? We don't act as if God loved us. We act since God loves us. What does that do to us? What, do, what change does it make in my mind? What transformation does it does, starts to unfold in me if I start thinking and training myself to think and act and believe and feel since then? Everything changes, right? Since then. So uh, Good Friday and Easter, we talked about since you died with Christ, when Jesus gave up his life, and you who are in Christ are in him, you died to your old life. Since you did that, quit letting everybody condemn you. You have one judge, and you will stand in front of him one day. And if you are in Christ, you, your sentence is clean. He took your debt. He took your condemnation. And you are free. Since you died with Christ, quit letting them heap all condemnation on you. And Colossians 3 starts out in the ESV here that we're reading. It says, if you have, which is important because we should never assume, right? We shouldn't just assume that we're following Christ. But other translations like the NIV and the New Living say since, because it's a rhetorical question. It's a rhetorical question. If you're in Christ... If you're in Christ, you've been raised with Christ. Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, and this is Tyler, the picture of Tyler coming up out of the water of baptism last week, saying, this is a picture of new life in Christ. Now everything changes. And Colossians 3, 1 through 4, paints a picture of what that looks like. So Colossians that we've been in, chapters 1 and 2 have been very high on raising Jesus. 
Who is Jesus? He's God. He's greater than anything. He's greater than everything. And uh, chapter 3 now starts to turn a corner to say, since Jesus is greater than, and since you are in him, now what does this mean for you? What does this look like in your life? So I want to read the first four verses of Colossians 3, uh, verses 1 through 4, and then we'll dive into looking at a life since then. All right? Colossians 3, 1 through 4 says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth, for you have died. And your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, you will also appear with him in glory. Colossians 3 turns the corner and says, Jesus came, Jesus sacrificed, Jesus rose. He's greater than anything and everything. Since you've died and since you've been raised to new life, Set your sights on things above. Seek the things above, it says right there. Seek it, it's like to look and to make that your goal and to make that uh, your purpose and that your objective. It's not to grab hold and to obtain and to like sit by God's side uh, a status, but it's to say, that's what I want. That's the trajectory of my life. That's what I want to aim at. That's what I want to point toward. That's what I want to run to. Since I have a new life in Christ, I don't want to live down here anymore, just status quo, being consumed by whatever is around me. I want to set my sights above. Above. And I want to race after him. Paul says, here's an echo statement. Don't just set your sights. I want you to start thinking this way. He says, fix your mind, set your mind, set your thoughts, start thinking about what does it mean that I've been raised to new life? What does it mean if I'm in Christ and I died to my old life? What does that, how do I need to think about that? What needs to continue to get peeled off? Because the old life, though I'm regenerated from within, the old life, like an old stinky pair of clothes, is still on, right? And I need to find the stink, and I need to take it off. And then I don't need to just like run around naked. I put on new clothes. And so Paul is going to get real specific in Colossians 3. Like, there's some stink you need to get rid of, and there's a new outfit you need to put on. There's an old way of life that you need to continue to put to death, and there's a new way of life that you can continue to put on so that your outside matches your inside, right? So that your, your life and your actions and your thoughts and your words and your deeds and your goals and your dreams match your heart that God has already brought to life. We don't look like the life within. And our job, is to partner with God to continue to give him greater and greater permission to strip off the stink, to wash us continually so that our outside matches what's inside. In verse 3, he says, you are hidden. You are hidden in Christ, meaning it's not yet fully apparent. 
That doesn't mean it's less than true. That doesn't mean it's less than the current reality. It just means it's not fully apparent. That means somebody on the street might not be able to look at you and say, oh, this is, this is what's happened. Hopefully they can see some glimpses and some signs of a change in us. And they like, what is different about you? But it's not fully apparent. We're hidden in Christ. But in the hiddenness is a security that says no matter what it looks like, I'm, I'm in Christ I don't have to submit anymore to the way the world works. I don't have to submit to the brokenness and say, well, that's just the way it is. I get to live different. I get to be a part of something different. I'm hidden in Christ. And it says then in verse 4, when Christ, who is your life, and I love this because Paul is tying back to Colossians 1 and 2 where he says, Christ is greater than, Jesus is greater than. He's the creator, he's the sustainer, and he's the reconciler. Christ is your life. And when he returns, when he appears, when he comes back, because he is coming back, you will be right there with him. So in Colossians 3, 1 through 4, there's past, present, and future happening. Since you died with Christ, right, You are now raised with Christ, and Christ is your life. And when he comes back sometime in the future, you will be with him. And you will appear how? Broken and messed up? No, it says you will appear with him in all his glory. That says creation, fall, redemption, restoration. One day the restoration is complete. One day the restoration is complete. We are living in the already not yet the Jesus heals me Jesus transforms me I am whole and yet there's more coming and yet there's more coming and one day it'll be fully complete fully paid for now fully realized someday to come and we keep our hope and our sights and our minds set on that Paul says this changes everything about the way we live. So if we flick, flip back to Colossians or to Philippians 3, Paul is talking about bragging rights. Paul is talking about the life he lived and the goals that he reached for and the, the stuff that he strived after. And then Jesus happens to him and everything changes. And he says, I want, I want, I want to know Christ. I want to know Christ. I want to know the power that raised him from the dead. I want to live in that. If he put his spirit in me, then that power exists in me. It's already in me. And I want to live. And I want that. And he says in Philippians 3, starting in verse 12, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect. This is not about reaching perfection. But I press on to make it my own because Jesus had made me his own. I press on. I'm going to use the rest of my life to chase after Jesus, to follow Jesus. Everything changes about the way I live, not to earn Jesus, but because he already took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, 
But one thing I do, forgetting what lies ahead and straining forward to what lies ahead, or forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of you who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Let us, only let us hold true to what we have attained. Paul says, I I live life differently now, and you need to as well. If you are in Christ, everything changes. Jesus isn't just something you receive. Jesus is something you live. Jesus is something you think. Jesus is something you do. Jesus is something you feel, and it changes who you are. So what does that mean? In theater, everybody has a role. Whether you're cast or crew, whether you're director or any, like everybody has a role. If you're on stage, everybody, most people have lines. There were a couple of plays that I was in where I would like had two characters and three lines, and it's like, why am I here? Whatever. I'm going to play my role. Everybody starts to say, what is my role? What are my lines? What is my blocking? Where do I have to go? And when do I do it? And everybody plays their role. And what happens if somebody doesn't? You get this really awkward moment on stage when somebody is not doing what they're supposed to be doing, right? And the very best actors can compensate. I've seen people like recite their lines. Somebody freezes on stage and the other person turns their line into a question and then they respond to it and then they, it's like, you're doing both parts right now and it's incredible, but it's not meant to be like that. Everybody has their role. You are significant. You are significant. You have a role to play. If you are in Christ, you need to be living it. You need to be engaged. You need to be playing your role. And that doesn't just make you a cog in a machine to say, as long as you're doing the right stuff, that's great. That means you are significant. That God would trust you to identify you, to give you a name, to give you gifts, to give you talents, to give you abilities, that he would empower you, even when you're not talented, that somehow he would work through you. You have a role and you are significant. And if Damascus Road is going to thrive, you need to be engaged. Damascus Road is not a church where we can thrive with a whole bunch of consumers. Damascus Road is already a church where so many of us are engaged, so many of us are doing all kinds of things, and that we want to celebrate and improve on and get sharper on and celebrate more and more and more. You are significant. I want us as a church, like Emma said last week, I want us to come awake. I want us every day more and more to be setting our sights on Jesus and setting our minds on Jesus so that we behave together toward Jesus. The rest of chapter 3 is going to spell out specific things about what that looks like. I want to take just a little while here this morning to talk about us here at Damascus Road. So, 
By the way, I forgot to say this right in the beginning. You guys see the sign? The sign, like we have a sign, we're real, okay? People can look by and say, there's not some weird freaky group. Uh, well, maybe, okay. But they can say, well, at least that weird freaky group has a name, okay? So we can start to invite people and say, you can find us now, okay? So this is a little bit of a risk, but I want to celebrate that we have a sign after the service today, after the benediction, if you have kids, I want you to go get your kids. If you don't have kids, I want you to move outside right under the sign. Let's get a group picture. Because it could be a little corny, and that's fine. Let's embrace the weirdness. Um, let's go take a picture of it to, to celebrate this together. To say, this is worth celebrating. I want to take a picture, which also is proof if you leave early. If you're not in it. Okay? So you need to stay and engage Get in the picture to say, God, thank you. And God, we worship you. And God, let's pray on mission. Give us your dreams. What does it look like here? What do you want Damascus Road to be and to do? And who's not here yet that needs to be? Okay? Because I will guarantee you, I will guarantee you, there are people who are not here today that God has in mind for them to be here. We need to find them and bring them in. So as I, as I think about DR, what are three words that we use all the time that would say, if you want to know the heart of DR, if you want to know what's important to DR, you should know these three words. What are they? Yes! Gospel community mission. And here's what we talk about. When we talk about gospel community mission, we start to say, Jesus is everything to us, right? He is our identity. Because of who he is, because of what he did, and because of the life that he offers, we get to be transformed. And he doesn't just do that individually. He brings us into a community that we get to be known and we get to know. We get to, we get to love and be loved, right? Right? And we grow into community. He doesn't just save us as individuals. He saves us into a community. And then he calls us to go out. Um, but I've had this problem. I don't know if you're like this. I'm always noodling over things. I'm always trying to like, uh, think about, is that, really, is that really how it is? My problem right now is this. This is not the gospel. This is a critical, vital piece of the gospel. But to say that the gospel is about the individual coming to know Jesus is less than the full gospel. Because experiencing the gospel is about experiencing the gospel in community. That he doesn't save me, he saves me into us. And it becomes a we. And so community is not separate from the gospel, nor is mission separate from the gospel. Jesus said... When he's asked, what's the greatest commandment? He says, love God and love others. Those are equal. You can't love God and be like, the second, the second sort of, uh, it comes under it, it falls. He's like, this is, they go together. They go together. So you cannot accept Christ and not jump into community. You haven't, you haven't experienced the gospel in its, in its fullness if that's where you are. And so here's the tweak that has been cooking in my mind. Can I do this? This might freak some of you out, and that's okay. Um, here's the tweak. 
I would put the gospel over everything. That we have, we have, we experience the gospel uh, as individuals, and we experience the gospel together in community, and we experience the gospel. Mission is not separate from the gospel. It's not like we get the gospel and then we're free to go do something. If we're not doing something, if we're on, if we're not on mission, we're not living out the gospel, right? And so I, I want to suggest this change, and it's going to require that we, it's going to require that we change. If gospel is over everything, one of the things that I want us to grow in, and the elder team has been talking about, and we want to grow in, one of the things that is core to who we are, that we just haven't been saying it in this wording to be very specific, is worship. So we would experience gospel worship. That we would come together as individuals, as a community, and we would worship. That no matter where we are in life, that we would come to see Jesus for who he is and what he's done, and we would worship as a response. That's Sunday morning. That's all of life. Romans says, uh, continue to offer yourself. This is your living act of worship. Okay? Continue to. So worship is all of life. But it's also, this is important. When we come together on a Sunday morning, this is important. We're not just putting on a, a show with good music and you can sit and enjoy. Your job is to engage in worship. And so when we talk about this, two of the things, two of the things that we want to see growth in, and, and this is bad wording. We're still, I'm still trying to like figure this out. There's music, which is not in itself worship, right? But there's a musical component to Sunday morning and the collective gathering for worship. And then there's prayer. Prayer is not worship just by itself. But we need to grow in the way we worship. And we need to grow in the way we pray. We want to invite the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, into all of that. To say, if you want to transform our worship, if you want to make it come awake, if you want to make it come alive, we want to give you permission in us, as audacious as that sounds, to sweep free in this place. And so if people are dancing, if people are shouting, if people are sitting and sobbing, or if people are just reflecting, that is good. We want the spirit to have freedom, and we want to get sharper in the way that we worship. And I'm just using music as a way to say, let's, let's rally around that, right? And pray. How do we pray together? So this morning, as you know, to pray for Bethsaida, so like, let's get sharper. Let's get sharper. It's coming up in a couple of weeks. Um, what is May 7? When we have our monthly, um, our monthly prayer meeting on Sunday night. And I want you to come to that. I want you to come to that. Tony's going to lead that meeting. And he'll have um, specific ways that we as a church can pray and will pray in that time. And that's about us dreaming God's dreams. And I want you to come. You've got stuff going on on Sunday nights. And I want you to say, this is more important. I want you to come on Sunday night on May 7th. Let's pray together. Let's look for ways to pray in here. Let's look for ways to pray throughout the week. And let's look for ways to pray together monthly. Okay? So this is worship. 
Let's say gospel over everything. We want to be a people that worships. And community, I think, needs a little bit of a tweak. So we talk about, we, one, of, we're, one of the things that has been unspoken, but we're really, uh, we really care about is worship. Another one is community. If you ask people their story, why are you here? Why does DR exist? You will get in some form or another, these are my people. These are my relationships. These are the people who are key in my life. Without them, I couldn't, I couldn't keep going. Damascus Road isn't just some church I attend. Damascus Road is my people. And that's beautiful. I want to keep going with it. I want to keep going with it. Because what can happen with a good thing is you get content with a good thing and you, you plateau with a good thing. And when you stop growing, you start to decline. And we always then start to live in the past. These are my people because we did this thing this one time. Because they held me through that. And I want to be a people that has a past. I want to be a people that's engaged in the present and a people going somewhere into the future. And this is called discipleship. You cannot do discipleship alone. To be a disciple, the simplest way to say it is a follower, someone who follows Jesus. And we will not give up on community. We want to be disciples of Jesus together. We want to follow after Jesus together. We want to engage the community that we're already in, and we want to get sharper. We want to grow stronger. So it's not just that we are safe, but that we're also growing. So the two words that I would use to describe true discipleship in community is belong and become. Okay? That we want Damascus Road to be a place where you belong. And you feel it, that not just they were warm and they invited me and they said hi and they shook my hand and they gave me a mug. That's part of something bigger. We don't want to be friendly people. We want to be friends, right? We want to be a people. I want you to belong. That's not just something that you receive. That's something that you engage with. You have to be willing to be vulnerable and give yourself to others. I want you to belong, and I want you to help other people to belong. But that's, that alone is not the totality of discipleship, right? We belong, and, and we're growing. We are becoming the people that God has called us to be. We are becoming the person that he's calling me into Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday. We are growing together. We're belonging and becoming and I think discipleship helps us, helps us to communicate that. Not in a way where we lose our community, but where we move our community. Does that make sense? We want, we want worship and discipleship that moves us into mission. That one I'm going to keep the same. Sorry if that bugs you. <laughs> I don't, it doesn't need tweaking right now. We want to be people who see Jesus who serve and who share. In Acts 1.8, when it says, you will receive power and you will be my witnesses, that a witness is somebody who sees 
and who tells, right? We're going to be somebody who, we're going to be a people who sees Jesus and then tells with our words and our actions. So we're going to be people who see, serve, which is telling with our words, and share, which is telling with our, uh, with our actions. I'm sorry. Serve is telling with our actions, right? Share is telling with our words. We want to be all of that. I want to grow in this. Do you want to grow in this together? You want to grow in this? I, I want us, we need to grow. We are, where we are now is not okay six months from now. That's not to heap condemnation. That's not to heap shame. That's not to say we're not good. That's to say we can't accept that where we are now is where God wants us in six months. That doesn't make any sense. He will continue to transform us, right? So I want you to make a personal commitment. I want you to make a personal commitment to worship. That you don't just come and sit. You come and worship. And when the music starts, you respond and you engage and you sing. And if you're not good at singing, don't worry about it. (laughs) Throw it off. You just lay it out there. And if somebody offers you voice lessons, take them up, okay? (laughs) But engage, and don't let that be an excuse to just sit back. I want you to engage in praying. And if you say, I don't feel like I can pray. I don't know. I'm so scared of praying out loud with other people. Take a risk. It's not a formula. It's talking with God with other people. Hi, God, you're here. So am I. I'm glad you're here. It's a beautiful prayer. Start where you are. But don't stay where you are. All right? So a couple of things that I want to, uh, I want to just make sure that we're clear. May 7 is a day I want on your calendar. You come on Sunday night and we pray together. Put that down. I want you to look for somebody to pray with this week. It could be a spouse or a close friend or somebody on the street corner that you walk by and the Spirit says, hey, pray with them, and you ask permission and they're like, yeah, that'd be great. Look to pray with somebody this week. When it comes to music, we're going to head into a time of communion and worship. And this is our opportunity to respond. This is our opportunity to engage. To say, since we've been raised to new life, we respond in worship. We don't check out. We don't leave early or like, okay, the sermon's done, service is over, we're good. We worship. Also, I would like to push us to start on time. If that means we need to start at 9.45, to say, let's, let's get together at 9.45 for coffee and giggles and connect. They're like, let's do it. Let's experience community. I don't want to give up community, but when 10 o'clock hits, I don't want to linger out there. I want to come in here because we have business to do together, right? We have work to do in worship. So come on time. And if that's hard for you, again, no shame, but aim. 
aim. If there's no good reason that you come late except that we don't really get going until 10.30 anyway, I know some of you feel it, some of you think it, and it's been a reality, okay? We'll just say it. We're going to start to get sharper as a church. I want you to make the goal also that we grow together. So on time is important and engage. Can I say this? I want you to sing. <laughs> I want Jeannie to sing. If we need to lay hands on her, that's, we'll do it. <laughs> I want this to be a safe place where we take risks, right? Not just safe to stay, but safe to risk. If we are sealed in Christ, if we are raised in Christ, we can take all kinds of risks, and we're going to be okay. Let's, let's stop just being the same. In community, help somebody belong. Reach out to somebody. Check on their week. See how they are. And also, take a risk and open yourself up to somebody. That feels all kinds of vulnerable. And that's good. That's what God wants from us. Okay? In becoming, get with somebody and say, what is God telling you you need to grow in right now? If you listen to God, if you try and listen to the Spirit to say, I know you're not done with me. I know that you will continue the work that you started. What is it right now that you want to draw my attention to? Ask that of God and share that with somebody else that we could sharpen each other. Become who God is calling you to be. Okay? And on mission, we got a sign. Which means we're done. Which means now it's easy to say, here we are. You can find us. I want to reach out. In your job, who, who do you need to reach out to? Who do you need to take Jesus to them and say, I care about you? How are you doing? In your family and in your neighborhood, in this neighborhood, we need to be present we don't just need to invite people in so we can fix them. We need to invite people because everybody needs Jesus. If we have him, then we take him everywhere. Right? Are you guys good with this? All right, here we go then. Let's engage. We're going to move into a time of communion where we get to reflect on the sacrifice that Jesus made on our behalf. This isn't just something we do because churches do it. This is something that we do because it means something. As you come up and you take the juice and you take the little cracker, these are symbols. Jesus gave us a picture of what he did, what he was doing, so that we could continue to remember him. You take the bread and you recognize the sacrifice and you take the cup and you... You claim the life that he has for you. And you live in it. And it's gratitude and it's worship. As the songs play, reflect and worship. And if you need to, to get yourself out of your seat and go pray with somebody right now because God is doing something, don't let it go. I hope God bugs you. I hope God bugs you right out of your seat. 
You go find somebody in the corner over here and somebody will meet you and pray with you. If you just need to dump on somebody or vomit on somebody or just open up and say, I, I can't even put it into words, just pray. Somebody will meet you there. Whatever, whatever is your response to worship, wherever you are, that's okay. Engage where you are. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. We so often skip over what you did and who you are, and we just end up going through the motions. You saved us. You saved us. And now you live in us. Your spirit actually resides in us. Help us not to stay the same. Help us to be tenacious in chasing after you. You're already here. Help us to be present with you. Amen.